Oh, well, I grew up on a planet forming space worms Where space worms can always be found But here on Earth, as far as I can discern There just ain't no space worms around What can I do? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Theater Near You. My name is Chris Randazzo, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by expensive space assassin Paul Giroux. Hondo. And intergalactic banjo plucker Sean Doyle. (laughs) We're back to our alphabetical lineup, and this month we went with Paul's pick for the letter H, which was the history of future folk. Sean and I went into this one completely blind. How did it pan out? Let's find out. But first, how are you, gentlemen? Yeah, I thought you were going to say, but first, there's another movie we need to talk about. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose that is true. I did not get a chance to watch Jiggly. I, I tried to fit it into my schedule, but it was... This is the uh, this is actually the uh, a week a gauntlet week for me in, in podcast recording. I've had all four of my shows this week. And in fact, I just recorded and edited another show this morning, so... I was I was a tad too busy to to fit Jiggly into my schedule, but I look forward to hearing you guys talk about it. So by all means, take it, bake them away, toys. I have there's every, there's I, always room for Jiggly. That's, I was gonna say oh my, I can't. You just I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> it's it's just not okay anymore. <laughs> Well, I think I think I have a way for us to talk about Jiggly um, uh, and still involve you, Chris. I think even though you didn't watch it because you're a slacker, I think um, I think I have an idea where you could still be involved in this. But you know, we don't we don't have to roll up our s- sleeves now and jump feet. That doesn't make sense. We don't have to talk. You know, you asked how we are. I can I can tell you how I am. I'm uh. I'm, Are you jiggly? I'm, I'm. Oh yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem. I am jiggly, but um, yeah. No, I'm I'm okay. Uh, these, these two weeks have been a mess because uh, my my school went remote, so um, I don't mind teaching remote, but um, at least you know if it's temporary. But like, I got a show to build, and I've had to do it without students. So that's been uh, yeah, it's been kind of awful. And then like because the schedule changed. You know, then I'm like mired down by all this administrative stuff I have to do. Like, you make changes, you got to like, you know, do a bunch of paperwork and send people new calendars and all that stuff. And like, you know, I'm like neck deep in a build, and I'm trying to do all that stuff. So that's been a little bit of a mess. Um, let me let me tell you what I heard on that section before you go on. Uh, COVID has prevented you from getting your normal child labor, so now you're having money issues. Uh. That's a, that's an oversimplification, but uh, I guess it's fair. Um, right. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. Yeah, it, you know, it's not just child labor. They get something out of it. They're there because they they want to be. You know, I I don't I don't like. I already know how to build the set. Like it's about you know it's about uh, teaching my craft to a next generation of of you know unpaid child laborers. <laughs> right, <laughs> you're passing the savings on to them. But yeah, I don't know. We're all we're all excited to be back next week. It'll be it'll be good. I am uh, remote right now because Jacqueline uh, doesn't have COVID, which is great. 
Uh, just found that out, but uh, she's sick, so I don't want to get Chris's kids sick. So that's less wonderful. Uh, hooray, other diseases? I don't, were, I don't even know what I'm cheered for anymore. Were, is it okay for me to ask, were you marked safe from the vid last time? I remember last time you were like, you know. Yeah, last safe. Yeah, last time there was uh, I, I had contact with someone who had contact with someone who got the vid, and uh, but no, we were good then, and we're good now. I mean, we're not she's not good, <laughs> but she doesn't have COVID, so that's great. Uh, yeah, other just than that, regular run of the mill sick. Yeah, you know, a flu or something. I don't know, which means I'll probably have that in the next day or so, uh, which will also be awesome. Well, at least it's nice to be able to plan ahead, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like when, when, when Karen or one of the kids gets sick, I'm like, all right, I'll be sick in a couple of days. So I should probably work extra hard to not be sick now. <laughs> yeah. Start popping those weird vitamin C Alka-Seltzer jobbies. I just, yeah, get, get I, some of that in there. I just saw this whole thing about how that uh, vitamin C thing's a myth created by. Oh, really? Yeah. It doesn't actually help with any, like there's no scientific data that shows extra vitamin C helps to reduce the effects of the common cold or flu or speed it up or nothing. I mean, vitamin C is good for you, so it's not, it's not hurting you, but the whole thing's just like some guy who was like in like the early 1920s was just like, oranges are going to save the whole world. And, I mean, you know, it was probably because of scurvy. We're like, Hey, oranges fix scurvy. I bet oranges will fix everything. Well, yeah. let, let me tell you the placebo effect that it creates then works on me because I, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I get sick a lot. Like, and when I do get sick, I, it, I usually bounce back pretty quick. But then when I'm worried about something, like when somebody else is sick, I'm like, oh, I got to start taking this stuff. And like, I've convinced myself into thinking that it is working for me. So, and, and that the placebo effect is real. Yeah. And a uh, fun note. I don't know that the science on this either, but uh, I know. Last time Cat had, my little sister had a bad uh, flu or whatever I say last time. It was probably three, four years ago. I don't know. Uh, she went to urgent care or whatever. She figured she needed an antibiotic or whatever. And the doctor was like, no, you know what? It's just, you should go home. And if you have some whiskey, you should pour that in some tea with like honey and lemon. And that, that'll, and she was like, my name is Cat Doyle. You think I didn't already do an, a hot toddy today? Like that's, that's, that's obvious. But the fact that a doctor, even an urgent care doctor, is recommending it makes me think maybe there's some science there. I don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you what would be a great spinoff podcast. A podcast where the three of us pretended to know anything about science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Let's start giving pick, medical advice. This yeah, is- <laughs> pick a science topic and talk about it. That would go poorly. <laughs> <laughs> where the hell were we? What are we talking about? What happened? <laughs> Oh, we were going to talk about Jiggly, but we didn't ask Chris. Chris, how are you? Oh, yeah. How are you, Chris? I'm doing okay. I'm, uh, you know, nobody's currently sick in our house. Uh, getting back in the swing of things. I was just telling Paul earlier this evening, every part of me hurts because I decided to, you know, stop eating like crazy and exercise again. And it was going well for a while. And then everything in my life caught fire and I stopped doing that and stress ate because that's what I do. Um, I love eating my feelings, but, uh, I figured it was time to get back on the, uh, back on my bullshit and here I am sore as hell. Uh, but outside of that, I'm doing pretty good. I was, uh, just kind of while you guys were talking, glancing over to the side and, and noticed that I appear to be one of the only people I know who's actually enjoying this Boba Fett show. So 
Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm not into it. And I'm not saying it's a masterclass. Uh, I'm, I am very very entertained though. I'm I'm quite happy with it. But then again, I don't really have an attachment to Boba Fett to begin with. I know a lot of people are really pissed off, like, ah, Boba Fett's not being Boba Fett. I'm like, dude stood there for, like, a while, and then he got knocked into a Sarlacc pit. Boba Fett was a nothing burger, man. (laughs) I guess here's what I'll say about it, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, because I don't think we should do spoilers or talk about all the parts of the show, but, like, like... Boba Fett is cooler the less you know about him. Like I, I kind of think I think I've said this before. I kind of think he's like the Joker. You know, I think it's like, like he's like he's a cool badass, and the less you know, uh, you can sympathize with all of his past and all that stuff like that. The cooler he is. Like he just needs to be like a badass bounty hunter that strolls in with a cool voice and kicks ass. Like that's that's what's appealing about him. And like when they had that prequel movie where it was like. I'm going to hold my dad's severed head in my hands and look towards the stars and I will become a badass. Like I did. Yeah. I didn't want that. I didn't need it. Like I just, I just want him to walk in and be cool. So um, yeah, I I mean like I I think in the vein of the Mandalorian, how this is kind of a space Western, there's some, some cool stuff about it, but like this guy, ain't no Pedro Pascal, like that guy is cool when he is, has the helmet on when he has the helmet off when he's just you hear his voice like he's compelling like this guy they were kind of stuck with the dude that did it in the the prequel movies and i mean he's all right but i don't think i'm not like blown away see i really liked him in mandalorian i like that whole bit and uh i'm curious to see that kind of version of him show up again like i'm very curious to see where it's going it's got its problems like for sure it's got some freaking problems I don't know if you watched episode three yet, but it had the most hilariously slow chase scene. Oh God, it was awful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, wow. Like, and and it was weird. I was fascinated by it because I was totally captivated by how they did it. Like, I understand why it looked the way that it did because they were like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to put them on motorcycles. We're going to put this guy in a car. And then the only thing we're going to special effects out of this are the wheels. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but now they're not moving like speeders. <laughs> yeah. Now they're moving like mopeds, and that's not like <laughs> I like how Boba Fett showed up with his rocket the rocket paddock at the end. I'm surprised they didn't have him just like gently jog over there. <laughs> I f- I felt like they might as well have been riding around in bumper cars. Like right? it, was, it was that it- ridiculous. It was it was quite silly. It, it this whole episode felt a little unfinished in the effects department. Like that shouldn't have flown. And there were also a bunch of scenes where the aspect ratio got really weird. Like the visuals got really distorted on the ends. Like they were trying to squish uh, things into the into frame. It was a couple of scenes I noticed while I was watching. It was like this is this is kind of weird. But that said, I'm still really enjoying the show. Uh, and I don't know. I just I I saw Bill Boyer's post about how it was worse than Attack of the Clones. And I'm like, all right, dude, slow your roll here. <laughs> right? Wait, I, a- Attack of the Clones is the benchmark? I didn't hate that one nearly as much as, uh, what was it, Revenge of the Sith? Was that the third one? God, I hated that one. I think Attack of the Clones is the worst. I, yeah, I find that, I mean, I don't like Revenge of the Sith at all. <laughs> I, there are things about it that I'll tolerate more than, than in uh, Attack. I find Attack of the Clones more 
physically difficult to sit through than revenge of the sith that's that's where i sit on that particular one uh, well half half of it is like an espionage spy thriller about these clones which again i would argue we don't need any backstory on boba fett and the other half of it is a love story with people that have zero on-screen chemistry so it was yeah there's just it fails everywhere yeah. if those even the cg looks like crap if those two halves are what make up the movie then i would say that the collective whole movie is garbage the whole, there's the other thing that kind of i find amusing about the whole boba fett thing like i completely agree with you but i mean i'm already way I'm already over it because they've been doing that for ages. Like they had young Boba Fett and freaking clone wars, like for a bunch of episodes, like him, teenage Boba Fett trying to become a bounty hunter and stuff like I, whatever. Okay. So Boba Fett's not somebody I particularly care about. That is what it is. So to jump back what Paul said before, I think one of the things that I, I, I want to say I hate, cause I'm always like, damn, why did they do that? But at the same time is probably why it's so great. A lot of Star Wars, they've done it at least three or four times that I can think of off the top of my head. They create a really cool villain, give you way less than you want, and then kill them off. And I think that creating that um, that the, that high demand and then cutting off the supply is why we idolize some of these villains. Like Boba Fett really wasn't in those first movies very much, but they, they introduced this cool character, didn't give us nearly as much as we wanted and then took him away. They did the same thing with Darth Maul. Like that was a great character. That was one of the best parts of that movie. He was a cool character. They gave you very little of him and then killed him at the end. Spoiler alert, in case you missed that 22 years ago. <laughs> and then, uh, what was it, Rogue One? There was a, I think it was like a bounty hunter or like some sort of zealot that was working for, um, that was working for the, the main guy in the desert who was out to collect them. And I thought he was so cool and I was sure he was going to be a character that was going to like travel on. He had a weird face and he was like, uh, he was like a believer, you know, so it was this zealoty guy. Um, and then they killed Saul him. Guerrera. I don't remember. I, God, I, I saw it like twice. I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was a great movie. Uh, but I yes, just, I'm not... Saul, Saul Guerrero was in like a bunch. Of, he was in a bunch of the Clone Wars. Like he was a character that had been existing in a bunch of other Star Wars stuff before that. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I, I only know the actual movies. Like I mean, even the crappy movies, like the Ewok movies and the the, mm -hmm, the Christmas yeah. special. But I didn't watch any of the. Well, you talk about the animated Clone War series. Yeah, that Clone Wars series had a bunch of Saw Gerrera in it, and he was also a character in the latest video game, for crying out loud. But uh, yeah, no, oh. that that was I, that was like, oh my god, Saw Gerrera in live action. This is how he dies, okay. <laughs> and uh, then he was dead. Like, I it was like a totally different perspective. And like, to, to, to get back to Darth Maul, like, and that's why I was so hopeful about this Boba Fett movie, because I agree, they showed up Darth Maul, he's this really awesome character, and then they... they replace him with a bad pun on count dracula's name because he's played by christopher lee with count dooku come on um but yeah darth maul was amazing and then the guy who's effectively a showrunner of this and all current star wars tv stuff dave filoni did a continuing story for darth maul that he survived and um it was really freaking good in fact darth maul had this a lot of crazy good story after episode one like really really good stuff uh and was eventually killed spoiler alert by obi-wan kenobi Again. yeah <laughs> and i i would say if it was cool enough to be in the cartoon like i kind of i kind of just wish they kind of just wish they made it in the movie like i kind of wish he could have been cool in the movie series like make him the villain of that 
first, you know, the 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 Lucas prequel trilogy, you know. I couldn't of- agree more. I wish they would have gotten that right uh, back then. Um, but that's kind of like what Dave Filoni's been doing is taking the things that like didn't really work about the the Star Wars movies and you know fleshing them out so when they said he was going to do a boba fett show i was like i don't really want a boba fett show because i don't really like boba fett because of you know most of the stuff that's happened with young boba fett because i don't really care but you know what i liked him when he showed up in mandalorian i and i trust dave filoni and i think it's given me a lot of cool stuff fett himself isn't knocking my socks off but i'll watch fennec shand all day long she's great and uh now he's got a pet rancor that he wants to learn how to ride and danny trejo's its trainer like I'm into that. <laughs> give me pet. Give me Boba Fett ride riding a Rancor into battle. Yeah, I'm gonna Take stick it. with it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. My interest is waning. <laughs> and when Black Black, I've been pronouncing his name wrong because I read him in the comics. I always called him Cranston, but is Cranaston or Cranston, Cranston or whatever? Uh, the the black the big jet the big uh, Wookie that showed up. Oh, like. Again, he's a character I know from the comics. I was like, oh shit, he's got history with Boba Fett. And that's why he let him go. I, I remember I just read that uh, Bill or whatever was really upset that uh, Boba Fett let him go. It's like, those dudes have a history. They know each other. They've worked together before. Like, Boba Fett wouldn't see the point in killing him because he knows he could be useful later. But again, it's kind of relying on knowing the rest of Star Wars lore, which is inherently a problem when you got something like this it's crossing mediums like okay that's cool but for anybody who didn't watch clone wars who cared that ahsoka showed up in in mandalorian last season right like because you don't know if this is the only thing that you're watching uh i think i think the tangled web of star wars is a little bit more difficult than than stuff like the mcu to to make it matter to people who aren't more hardcore nerds but and, you know, that's probably the beauty of the MCU is that, like, um, there's lots of stuff in there that the hardcore nerds uh, pick up on. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I just rewatched the Eternals. You know, we, we you know, there's all kinds of stuff in there suggesting what's coming next. And it's exciting. Um, but MCU does a great job of kind of backfilling as needed to let even though you might not catch it right when the, the uber nerds catch it or even the the. The moderate level nerds, such as myself, who are maybe a step slower, uh, but like the masses, they get the backfill that's needed and they will eventually be able to appreciate it, especially like, you know, that the payoff for that's in the next movie. If they go back and rewatch the two movies, it, it all fits together so nicely. And maybe Star Wars would benefit. And I, I know it's a very popular franchise, but I'm, I think at this point, MCU is probably blowing it out box office wise, I would think. I would think so, yeah. Uh, and maybe that's and maybe that might be the reason why. Maybe they're not doing a good enough job of, you know, uh, backfilling without. You can't you can't take too much time doing, you know, uh, backfill because then you're going to lose the nerds. They're like, we already know the basic story of Spider Man. Come on, move forward. Um, but you got to you got to strike that balance just right to to widen your uh, net. Yeah, and it also the MCU doesn't have the problem of being uh like the medium of the MCU is it's just all these movies and movies are the things that everyone knows where not every if you like Marvel movies, you can get into this story pretty easily. If you like Star Wars but you don't like reading comics, then you're going to miss a bunch of stuff that's considered officially canon. If you don't if you like live action movies but you don't want to watch a bunch of kids cartoons, 
well, then you're going to miss a bunch of backstory on these characters that show up in these adult shows. And it's, I guess they have to really toe that line on what they can, what, what they can make interesting for people who aren't experienced with a bunch of that other, uh, of those other mediums and still make it entertaining, you know? Right. Um, which it, it's not a problem for me because I'm a star Wars whore. So I'm, I read all the comics and I, I watch all the cartoons and, and I'm all caught up, but, uh, for anyone else, I, I guess I can see, especially people who have a vision of what Boba Fett's supposed to be in their mind, um, seeing him not just constantly kicking ass is not fun. Uh, whereas I just think it's interesting that this guy's, he's not a leader. He's never been a leader. He's been a freaking bounty hunter his whole life. And now he's in charge of a bunch of stuff. But because of what he recently went through with the, uh, losing his armor and being stuck in the, the, the desert with the, uh, the sand people, he understands that things have co- everything that he, it, you know, just doing badass moves for the sake of doing badass moves have consequences. And I think that's a really interesting show to watch, but I think most people who are signing up for a Boba Fett show just want to see Boba Fett Boba Fetting. And that's not what you're getting. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what I thought I was signing up for, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I also don't, understand what the show is so there's yeah it does have a focus problem like the the flashbacks are feel so heavily removed from the modern stuff i it's it's jarring it's not quite witcher season one where everything's out of order good luck jarring but it is uh it's it's got some issues but i could i could literally just talk star wars all day every day so we should probably move over to you guys discussing Jiggly. Yeah, I was about to say, you know who's got a focus problem is you. <laughs> yes. We just spent 20 minutes talking about Boba Fett, and we got two movies to talk about. Two movies. I'm, I'm very easily, very easily distracted by Star Wars. All right, all right. So on to Jai Gaylay. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sean, Sean, it's Geely, like it rhymes with really. Um but listen, please I think tell me should, that's a line from the movie. It is a mo- line from the movie. Listen, I think yes. we should do. I think we should do first impressions. But then, Chris, this is what I think we should do to keep us focused, so we get to the next movie. I think you should reread that synopsis that you read, and then Sean and I should jump in with all the awful crap that you're not saying. <laughs> okay, I'm into this. But wait, Where wait, was that? That wait, was wait. A- you as you were looking that up, Paul. We got to set the mood for our 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 one fan who likes the moods. The uh, for a meal, I thought to myself, "What what what snack pairs well with uh, with giggly?" And I was like, "You know what? Yeah, I don't have any giggly cookies. Remember giggles, the cookies from the 1980s? I don't have any of those because they would be very stale. But honestly, if I found an open box, I'd still give it a run. But I didn't have that. So then I thought, well, I don't know this movie, but what I do know is it's supposedly one of the worst movies on the planet." By popular standards. So I looked in my kitchen. I said, what's the worst thing by popular standards that I could do right here? So I had like two-day-old cold Domino's pizza. But wait, it wasn't even regular Domino's pizza because I get it with their Alfredo sauce to try to avoid the heartburn that I get anytime I eat Domino's pizza. So it's Alfredo sauce, two-day-old cold Domino's pizza. I think it had ham and bacon on it maybe. I don't know. Definitely some meat on there. Are with, you trying to avoid heartburn with this? Well, the tomato sauce gets me. If I if I replace that with a white <laughs> sauce, it, it's not as, as heartburny. I'm not I'm not going to not eat pork. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> the uh, uh, and then to, I was like, well, what what would be a 
you know, what, what do I put with that? And I'm looking for a beverage. And I had a can of non-alcoholic brew dog punk AF beer, which again, I, this sounds like the worst meal ever, which is what I was trying to do. But in all fairness, these are things that I buy. Like I buy that beer. I try to drink. I don't try. I try not to drink during the week. So I drink non-alcoholic beer and uh, I buy Domino's on a regular basis. So while I'm kind of talking crap on them. Uh, these are still normally things I would buy. But I was like, yeah, most people would say this is a terrible meal that I've put together here. I mean, look, I'm not going to say that Elio's pizza is fine dining, but damn if I don't love it. I keep buying. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like a thoroughly vomiting-inducing meal, um, uh, and I think that is apropos for the movie. Um, I I don't know if I could have eaten anything while I watched this movie because yeah, I think I just would have like hocked it up. I think um, I think this movie was so awful it would ruin my appetite for anything. I want to get a T-shirt of it. Did you find your uh, thing there, Chris? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. All right. It, look, here, here's, my, here's my first impression of this movie. Never have I seen a movie where so little happens under the charade of so much happening, right? Like, like you know, there, there's supposedly big things going on in this movie. Like, he's got a kidnap, the, the guy that's the district attorney's brother, they have to hold on to him. You know, J-Lo gets brought in because, uh, you know, he might potentially screw it up, right? Like, there's being cat fights, suicide attempts, murders, fingers cut off. The guy from that TV show, The Neighbors, gets shot. Yeah, there there should be a lot happening. And, like, really, it's just a bunch of people sitting around in an apartment talking at each other or sitting around in a car talking at each other. Like, they drive around town with that kid in the car. There's no like police looking for them. There's no, you know, there's nobody that comes to try to. There's no close calls. There's no nothing. Like there's no stakes in this movie. Like was was this supposed to be a comedy or an action movie? Like I don't even know what this was. No stakes in the last scene. Ben Affleck basically creates stakes that didn't exist up until that moment by getting giving the cops his location. And also pissing off the main bad guy. And then now that he's got everybody coming down on him, he's like, take my car and go. I'm just going to walk it off on the beach here where I don't blend in. That's my plan. He like, you're right. There was no stakes the whole movie until the end where he artificially created them. There was no reason for any of that. And then he strands himself where he's created it for no apparent reason. Yeah. I don't even think anybody was really looking for him. Like not until then, (laughs) not until he said, come look for me. It was so weird. Did you get the impression that maybe the DA was sick of taking care of his brother and was kind of hoping they were just going to off him? I, or, or, or that like he was supposed to connect with the brother and befriend him and take care of him, in which like there was no lead up to that. Like he acted like an asshole to that kid the whole movie, like reading him the back of a soda bottle instead of finding a goddamn book, like. What the hell, man? All right, Chris. All right, Chris. Start with this. We got to keep us focused. Start with the synopsis, and we're going to jump in. Okay, first paragraph. Larry Geely is a low-ranking Los Angeles mobster who is not nearly as tough as he likes to act. Louis or Louis? So, so he's a Los Angeles mobster, which, like, 
I don't know what that is, right? Like he's, <laughs> he, like he's walking around like a like a New Jersey Guido, like you know, like with his leather jacket and his slick back hair, being like, "Hey, you know, Bison." Um, and uh, yeah, like it's like friggin' on the West Coast with like palm trees and beaches and stuff, like. And he's dressed like he's in Boston the whole time. Everybody else is in like bathing suits, and it's like, yeah. what are you doing? He was like a goddamn fish on a bicycle. He looks he, he, he looks so ridiculous in this space. And like it would have been funny if like this like if this was a mob movie, like if this was a movie about mobsters and like everybody was like out of the Sopranos, like Ben Affleck would have been the greatest character actor in that movie. But like the fact that he was the star of the movie, he was the most non-compelling like garbage protagonist that we ever could have had. But anyway, go on. Louis, is it Louis or Louis? Doesn't matter. <laughs> God, it doesn't matter. Louis, a higher ranking member of Gili's organization, commands him to kidnap the mentally challenged younger brother of a powerful federal prosecutor to use as a bargaining chip to save New York based mob boss Starkman from prison. So. Yeah, so, you take this, Sean. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the the gist of the plan. the The plan, uh, first of all, the guy is worried that he can't handle it. Uh, so he that's where the next sentence is coming from. But really, that was the extent of the plan. There wasn't really a a, a terror threat, uh, a terrorist threat letter or something like. After he realizes his plan doesn't work because it was only like the first half of a plan do they take further action with the cutting off of the thumb thing but at first he's just like go kidnap this kid and it's the most boring kidnapping ever it ben affleck walks in uh he could easily just walk out with the kid instead he gets all flustered and starts to fight with the kid for some reason but they just let him in whoever they are i don't think anyone was running that place and they let him walk out with the kid no one seemed to care it wasn't he didn't break into a place he didn't like club the kid and drag him away it was just like hey you want to go for a walk okay let's go for a walk and they walk and they yeah. get the car and they drive away i would say i would say that a whatever um whatever challenges this this young man had was not was not covered in this movie right like it's set up that he had some sort of you know disability it didn't really seem like it was like a like a cognitive disability like he seemed like he was smart you know like it, it seemed like he was maybe somewhere on the the spectrum but like it this was this was not in any way covered um and it was like insulting in that like i cringed a lot of times in that the 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 you know gangsters would just drop the r word when they referred to him um including our protagonist Gigli or jiggly um and uh and I think we were supposed to get that he was warming up to the kid, but he was like such a douche clown to the kid. Um, yeah, he walks into that place, whatever that place is, that institution, not totally explained, doesn't have to find a way to get him out of the building, doesn't have to, you know, he just strolls out the front door, like, no security in this place, they're just letting these people go, you know, whatever this place was, right? And then, he's such a dick to this kid in the car, right? The kid keeps talking about the Baywatch that he like he wants to go to where the Baywatch is, whatever that is, right? That they like where they film the Baywatch or the the real place that Baywatch is, right? So Geely, the like the friggin', you know, uh jerk that he is, right? Like he 
opens his glove box, this patronizing dick, right? And he takes out a flashlight and he starts talking into it like it's a walkie-talkie, right? And he's like, oh, sorry, bud. The Baywatch is closed today. They just, you know, they told me the Baywatch is closed. Then the a-hole gets a call on his cell phone and answers his cell phone right in front of the kid. He couldn't. He couldn't have used his cell phone to call the Baywatch. He had to be a patronizing dick and talk on a flashlight. Like, ugh. Anyway, go on, Chris. <clears throat> Zilek successfully convinces the young man, Brian, to go off with him by promising to take him to the Baywatch. Apparently, a reference to the television show of that name, which seems to be Brian's singular obsession. Louis does not trust Gili to get the job done right, so he hires a woman calling herself Ricky to take charge. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I, so Ricky, uh, I guess, is testing him out when she shows up and doesn't say who she is, and he lets her in, which, okay, that's stupid. But okay, they, they make it clear that he wants to have sex or whatever, fine. And then she kind of says who she is, and he he just keeps going along with it. Like every stage of his opening interaction with this woman was a poor strategical decision. Strategical? I'm sticking with it. Strategical decision. And yet somehow she uh, she's mad at him at first, but then like I, I don't she's I, supposed to be the smart one, but everything he's doing seems worse than the thing he did before. But then she's going along with it. I would argue. Who is she? Like, what is her job, right? Like, like, what are any of these people's jobs? Like, he's like a mobster, but, like, he's been hired to do this job of kidnapping this kid. Like, does he do low-level, like, crimes like that? Or is he, like, a hitman? She says that she's a contractor. There's nothing about her that seemed like a hitman. So, like, does she just do, quote-unquote, jobs? Like... Would one of those jobs be, like, cleaning your fridge if you called her? Like, what did she do? Yeah, she, she, she balked at every kind of physical violence in the, in the movie, and he did, too. I mean, I guess he was kind of threatening to that guy in the opening scene that he put in the dryer, and he got some money out of him. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're not good at their jobs, that's for sure. Never. Never saw that guy again. Never saw that guy that he put in the dryer. That seemed like it was going to be a big plot point. Not a plot point at all. Oh, that he helped him out and it was going to turn around and help him in the end. Yeah, that would have yeah. that would have at least given you some sort of uh, you know callback thematic. Also, school. also only the time the only time there was narration. Like he's like, I'm you know I'm Julie. This is a story about blah, 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 you know and like like that didn't come back. Him narrating the story. And then he was a dick to everybody the whole movie. Why didn't he kill that guy if he's such a dick? I didn't even think of that till just now. Like, he wasn't nice to anybody. Not even her. Like, he falls in love with her, and you see that because she's, like, toying with him with, like, I don't know, sexual positions in the one point. Oh, uh, let, let's, let's let Chris get to that part. Go okay, ahead, Chris. All right. Gili is, atta- is attracted to Ricky. But he resents both Louis's lack of faith in him and having to take orders from a woman. He's also frustrated by Brian's insistence on going to the Baywatch and by the fact that Ricky is a lesbian. Yes. A suspicious detective comes to the department to question Gili in reference to Brian's disappearance. He is further annoyed when his mother immediately bonds with Ricky and they team up to needle him. All right, hang on. There it is, that she's a lesbian. So this movie 
takes the stance that a lesbian is only a lesbian because they haven't met a nice, good-looking paisan from New Jersey <laughs> yet, right? Like that's what that's that's what this movie sets up, right? That's She's what a his lesbian. mom says. His mom yeah. says that. Like it's not it, even a hidden plot line. That's what his mom <laughs> says, and then they're like, "Yep, that's how it is." Oh yeah. Uh, good. Wait. God. Wait. <laughs> what did what did uh, what did you just say in that? Part about um oh, oh the detective detective the detective oh, showed up my the god de- the detective was Christopher Walken in, in one of the only good performances in this movie right so like like first of all he comes in and like it like you think that he's going to be an important character right like he's this detective that's showing up to tell Geely that like he might be in trouble because people are looking for this district attorney's brother right. We don't see Christopher Walken again. We don't see him again after this scene, right? And, uh, yeah, he has this, like, really weird monologue about, like, hey, we're gonna eat pie from Marie Callender, and I'll stick it on your head and lick it off your face. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, like, super weird monologue that he had, right? But, like, the stakes should be high because he's a detective who's there to t- look for the kid that Geely kidnapped the kids in the next room and JLo is on the couch just reading a goddamn book, right? Like she's supposed to be the fixer and she seems unfazed by the fact that there's a detective in the apartment looking for the kid who's in the next room who could burst in at any time and talk about the Baywatch because he is unpredictable. You don't see her reaching for a gun or anything like that. And one, she might've just been bored like the rest of us. Two, I think Christopher Walken probably saw what was happening and quit the movie on the spot, but they already got that one scene done, you know, because that scene served no purpose because when he left, she was like, we got to get out of here. And Ben Affleck's like, no, nobody's going to make me leave my house. And then they continue to go back to his house like it's not a big deal. Like they eventually get in a car, drive her out a bit. But like Christopher Walken doesn't come back into the movie. So what did him showing up do? What what plot point did that further other than letting us know that no, nothing? It didn't do anything. Like, okay, Ben Affleck is known to be connected to the criminal underworld. We kind of got that impression earlier because he had a bad reputation or whatever. So, okay, the local cops know he's got a bad reputation. But we- No one follows them when they're in that car. There's no po- chases, no police chases. I mean, the only disguise that brian the the younger brother of the da has on is a hoodie and glasses he's not very well disguised the, the lesbian plot line that we just went over this i'm just jumping around here because so many other bad things remember how chasing amy at least got some things right whatever they got right there ben affleck was like what if we did it the opposite way and we'll just get all that wrong and then we'll sucker christopher walken and al pacino into being in the movie who also quit after one scene You'll see there's a there's a theme forming there, a pattern. These they, they suckered him in for like one afternoon. They were like, give me a half hour, one take, and then you can go home. And they were like, one take, because we owe you a favor or something. And then that was it. They were out. You never saw them again. I think those two were in a different movie. I think those two <laughs> I think they I think they gave him that one scene. I don't think they gave him the script. I think those guys thought this was a comedy. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Either that or they just didn't care. Like, they, they were probably like, look, we're making this movie. We need some names. Uh, can you just come for an afternoon? I'm like, yeah, I got another shot. 
you know, down the street. So why not? Remember in True mm-hmm. Romance when all these famous people showed up and did one scene and it was like one of the greatest scenes ever. Like Christopher oh, yeah. Walken was in one scene. It was amazing. Dennis Hopper was in like two scenes and they were both great. Uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, Gary Oldman, everybody had like these. And then they, they would get killed for the most part. And you wouldn't see them again. They would just disappear out of the movie. But you didn't care because the scene was so good. This movie is, didn't do that. This movie did is, the opposite. Isn't Christopher Walken in that scene where they call him an eggplant? And he goes, <laughs> you You're are a cantaloupe. A cantaloupe. <laughs> God, we watched that scene over, like, on repeat at your place in Maine, I think it was. <laughs> no, it, was it was when I lived in Maryland. <laughs> Maryland, that was it. Goodness gracious, that was, that was a weird You're day. A cantaloupe. <laughs> the, I think they were trying to recreate that. They were like, what if Christopher Walken just comes in and starts talking about fruit? Well, we can't do fruit again. How about pie? He'll just come in and it'll be this epic scene where he talks about putting a pie on his face. All right. We're halfway through. Okay. Events take a darker turn when Gili and Ricky receive orders to cut off Brian's thumb, something neither wants to do. Worse, her ex-girlfriend, Robin, shows up at the apartment accusing Ricky of changing sexual orientation. Robin attempts suicide by slitting her wrists and is rushed to the hospital where she survives. There, Gilly sneaks into the morgue and cuts off a corpse's thumb, which he sends to the prosecutor as Brian's. Gilly and Ricky go back to his apartment where he confesses his love, and they sleep together. So, no one... Like, no... There's, there's supposed to be these, like, ruthless criminals. They don't want to cut off Brian's thumb. It doesn't make a lot of sense. They haven't really connected with him. They've treated him like an a-hole the whole movie. Uh, and then, yeah, it just seems like they're bad at their jobs. Um, and I would also say Robin, the, this ex-girlfriend of J-Lo's, uh, or Ricky's, or whatever her name is, right? Like, weirdest scene ever, right? Because she suspects that Ricky is sleeping with Geely, and her way of trying to like remedy this or get her back is saying, let's all just sleep together. Like she's like, I'll fuck all of you. Like (laughs) super weird. And then, and then it was the most boring suicide scene ever. Not that suicide's fun. That's not what I'm saying. But like, she just did it all of a sudden. You didn't really see her do it. And she turned around and her wrists were slit. And like, Nobody in the room gave a shit. Like, Ben Affleck seemed kind of annoyed. Like, now I got to deal with, like, now, okay, look, you're in my house and you bleed. Because, again, they're at his house at this point, if I'm not mistaken, because they don't care that Christopher Walken is hot on, his, hot on their trail because he's already quit the movie, so they know he's not coming back. So then she slits her wrist and, like, I don't know, there's no screaming, there's no panic, there's no, like, when you're filming a scene where someone tries to kill themselves, it, it should be somewhat adrenaline pumped right she just calmly slits both her wrists they watch her do it she holds up her wrists and then it's like all right let's cut to the hospital scene where ricky and the ex-girlfriend who just tried to kill herself over whatever fight they're having are smiling at each other and like everything's cool now somehow in the 10 minute drive to the the hospital everybody's just on the same page and everybody's happy again that was really important 10 minutes that we didn't get to see the suicide scene was almost like she ripped off a Band-Aid and then went, look, gross, see? Like, that's what it, that's kind of what it looked like. Gah. And then that's part of what makes him fall in love with her, is he sees her compassion towards this person. But one, he's a dick who had no compassion towards the person, so why would he care about that? And two, why are the two of them just smiling and, like, they're, like, I don't remember if they're hugging or she's, like, patting her on the head, like, there's, uh, you know 
favorable emotions being passed back and forth. If there was some sort of cathartic moment, right? Because I, I don't know if this was a comedy or I don't know, a drama. I don't know what they were going for here. I guess a romantic comedy, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. So you, if you're gonna have some sort of some sort of emotional development, maybe show us. Maybe don't just cut that scene and skip to the part where everybody's cool again. They are summoned to meet with the mob boss. Starkman reveals that he did not approve of the plan to kidnap a federal prosecutor's brother or cut off Brian's thumb. He nevertheless rages at them because it didn't match Brian's fingerprint and therefore not only failed to increase pressure on the prosecutor, but even undermined their credibility. Uh, Yeah, Um, second best scene in the movie after Christopher Walken, and it was literally only because Pacino was in a different movie. Like he, <laughs> he was, he probably just got that scene and he was like, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> feed your brains to the fish. It was amazing. You know, <clears throat> their performances were, I don't hate Ben Affleck as an actor. I like some things he's in, but this was just, this, this was bad acting from him. I think like, I don't know. Not that good acting was going to save it. You know, I don't know. Al Pacino seems fun. He killed the guy from Neighbors, which made me sad, because I like that guy. Ben Affleck would have been great in the movie if every single character was like, hey, yo, Johnny. Like, if they all, if it was a movie about mobsters, you know, if if he was, like, if he was, like, a low-level thug in Goodfellas, he would have been a great, but he was the lead in this movie. He was garbage. Starkman then kills Louis in retaliation for the kidnapping and associated scrutiny by law enforcement. He is about to kill Ricky and Gigli, but she talks him out of it. She points out that only they know where Brian is, and only they can silence and prevent him from revealing Starkman's organization's involvement in the kidnapping. The kid who thought a flashlight was a cell phone, they're worried that he is going to talk to the cops and piece this plot together, despite not knowing anybody's names, any of their connections to anything, and, and again, believing that a flashlight is a cell phone. Uh, I have nothing to further dissect about the movie after that scene. <laughs> all right, well, there's only a couple sentences left. Are you kidding me? Left. Are you kidding me? All right, all right. All right take take it away, Chris. Off. They leave Starkman's, decide to leave the mob, and discuss taking Brian back to where they found him. On the way, they discover a Baywatch-like music video filming on the beach. Brian begs to be let off there, and they finally consent. Gili convinces Ricky to take his car to escape to parts unknown, but at the last minute... She returns to pick him up, and they leave town together. The end. Yeah, I... I well, this sounds great. I didn't know if anybody knew where he lived in the first place. I didn't know if anybody was really looking for him. You know... You didn't I, see the DA brother once in the whole movie, and I honestly believe that the DA brother was a dick. I was hoping his his brother was going to get killed because he was tired of taking care of him. That's that's the best I can piece together. Because whether he was missing or they sent the thumb or whatever, nobody took any action. Nobody took any action. At the I, end, I, Ben Affleck calls the cops and says, I have the kidnapped DA brother kid guy here with me at the beach and like gives them the address. And then nobody shows up. I mean, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I don't understand why he gave J-Lo the car, and if I were J-Lo, I would have started that car and sped it up to 90 and gotten as far away from that goddamn beach and him as I could have. In that movie. (laughs) (laughs) You missed out, Chris. 
You missed out. <laughs> well, the movie didn't go anywhere. I could still watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got a better uh, experience listening to Sean and I talk about it. I have no doubt in my mind that that is the case. I cannot imagine myself watching this movie. I'm going to get a Geely t-shirt. That's, that's the only way to commemorate that moment in my life. Well, you know what? I think it's time for us to talk about what we're here to talk about. I don't even remember. Thank you for uh, the, the, thank you for the, the Geely, Geeling. Thanks for jiggling all over the podcast. <laughs> I, was, I was just taking a sip of water when you said that, and there was almost water all over the wall. <laughs> All right, so the movie that we're actually here to talk about, besides Boba Fett and uh, Gili, <laughs> the topic of today's podcast is a wonderful little movie called The History of Future Folk. It was released on May 31st, 2013, and was distributed by Film Buff and Variance Films. It was just directed by John Mitchell and Jeremy Kip Walker. John Mitchell's previous credits include several short films, such as Superpowers and Goodnight Bill, while Jeremy Kipwalker has far more producer credits, including The Big Sick and Half Nelson. The movie stars uh, Niels De Fred Johnson, uh, is what I'm going to call him. Uh, it's <laughs> Niels De but I'm just going to say Fred. Uh, Jay Clates, Julianne Emery, and April Hernandez Castillo. It tells the story of an alien who came to Earth to destroy all life in order to save his world, but decides not to when he discovers music which is apparently completely unique to Earth. I watched this on Netflix with Karen. I had a glass of chocolate milk and something called a cowboy cookie with it, which is basically an oatmeal raisin cookie that also has chocolate chips in it, and it was delicious. Hmm. Oh. Uh, well, I also watched it on Netflix, because that's where the movie is. Um, I had two Rice Krispie treats, which I oh, grabbed and went. Um, uh, sorry. Did you ever like take them and put something inside to make a rice krispie treat, treat sandwich? No, but that sounds oh my like God, a really I want to make idea. a rice krispie treat s'more. Oh, I was thinking That's ham a... and cheese, but I like your idea better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, that's I, that's that's a good that's a good plan. I'll I'll put that on the list. No, um, so so Nate, uh, one of one of his days at school, he came home with this big box of snacks. I, I think basically what happened was. They had a party in school, like they had a holiday party, and I think like, you know, because of COVID, they weren't allowed to just like snack in the classroom, so it was like, everybody bring a snack, and then, you know, like you distribute one of yours to everybody else, um, and so it was like everybody, everybody got one snack from somebody in the class, you know, like almost like a, almost like a Valentine's exchange, but with snacks, right? Um <laughs> So he comes home with this big friggin' box of snacks, and he just puts it on the counter. And he's like, this is going to be my grab-and-go box. Like, if you want a snack, you can just grab it and go. And we were like, okay, cool. Does it have to be in the middle of the kitchen counter? And he was like, yeah. Like, this is where it is, because if you need it, you just grab it and go. So, like, after that, like, we would walk by this box, and I'd be like, I'm just going to grab this and go. And, like, that's, like, been our joke between my wife and I, so... I went up to the box, I grabbed two Rice Krispie treats, and then I went downstairs and enjoyed the movie. Nice. I, uh, I watched it on the Netflix with Jackals, and I thought to myself, future folk. All right, we got future and we got folk. What do I drink with that? Folk makes me think of bourbon. 
right? I don't know, folk music bourbon. I don't know. That's what I went with. And then Jacqueline, I was like, this works out nice. Jacqueline got me this thing. I had to make, like, she got me this thing for Christmas. You pour some, like, whiskey or bourbon or whatever you choose into it, but then you got to leave it for a couple days. So it's bourbon for the future. So it's future folk. That's what I drank. And then I didn't pair it with anything that would pair with it. I had, like, Cheetos because that's what was there. So <laughs> Cheetos classy. Yeah. Super classy. Super classy. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, actually, no, Paul, this was your pick. You go first. Tell, tell us about what did, what did you think of this? You hadn't seen it before, right? No, I had seen it before. So, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So I saw this movie a couple years ago. I don't I don't think it was when it first came out. Like it, it came out in 2012. I don't think I saw it then, but it was, you know, maybe it was a year or two later you know, 2013 or 2014, somewhere in there. Um, and I saw it and I, I liked it. I remember liking it. I, you know, I remember being like, that was a, a fun, sweet little movie. Like I just, you know, I remember it being one of those things where I said, I'd like to revisit this at some time. And then I, I, I sort of forgot about it. Like I, I forgot what the movie was called. You know, I, I, it was sort of like seeing it again for the first time. I had forgotten a lot of it, you know, like I, I, I sort of remembered that it was like he, he had come to the planet to destroy it and that he, you know, he changed his mind. Um, and, uh, you know, I also kind of remembered the thing, you know, where he had the, the wife and the little girl. And um, I, I remembered some parts of it. But the, the only thing I could remember about the movie um, when I was trying to find it again was that there was that a character named Kevin. Um, I, I didn't remember that he was called the Mighty Kevin. Uh, he, I, I think I was maybe, you know, maybe confusing the titles of the two characters because, like, when I was trying to find the movie again, I would search, like, General Kevin or Commander Kevin or something like that. And, like, Wikipedia would be like, do you mean Commander Kevin of the USS, you know, uh, whatever, you know, or Admiral Kevin of the Kevin Johnson of the U.S you know, some battleship or something. Right. So like I, I could not find this movie because I couldn't, I didn't know any of the actors. I couldn't remember any of the names. Um, but Kevin stuck in my mind because, um, at the time when I saw the movie, I had a student named Kevin, uh, and Kevin was always around. Like he was always in the building. He was always there helping me with something, um, kind of to a fault. Like, Kevin was great because, like, he was very knowledgeable and he would get stuff done. But, like, sometimes when you work with student all day, you just want to, like, sit in your office and, like, not be around them for a little bit. Like, sometimes mm -hmm. it's, like, when you got a minute, you just want to, like, be in your office and, like, do some work. And, like, Kevin would, like, saunter in and, like, sit down and put his feet up on my desk and, like, <laughs> pull out a hoagie and start eating it. And I'd be like, like, dude, like, I get, like, 10 minutes a day where I don't have to be around you people. Like, could you not be here? <laughs> you know? Um, so I already had this kind of this joke about Kevin because, uh, all right. So, so sometimes birds get into my building. This, I'm sorry. This is a little bit of a, a, a weird sidetrack. So, so sometimes birds get in my building. Right. And like, I don't know how they get in. I don't think it's just that somebody leaves the doors open and birds fly in. Like, I think that they somehow land on the roof and have found some little thing to walk through where they get in the building. And then 
they can't get out. Like they don't know where to find that thing again. So like when they're in the building, they just fly around unhappily until they die. Um, so me, <laughs> me and the only other person that works in my building, the, the woman that runs the art studio, <laughs> we started naming the birds, Kevin. And this pissed off student Kevin, who was always around, and it would make to make it worse. We'd be like, "Hey, Kevin, number two, can you come help get Kevin out of the building? Like, open the doors, and we'll put out birdseed, right?" And he was like, "I was here first. And we were like, you know, and then like even when that bird died, we'd be like, "Listen, Kevin, number three, <laughs> we need you to help us get Kevin two out of the building." So, uh, so I had, we had this whole running joke with Kevin, um, and I, I didn't know that the character was called the amazing Kevin. Um, but I, I, I found the movie again, like kind of magically before we started doing, we got to the letter H and that's when I was like, this is, this is fate. I have to suggest it's, this movie. It, it's all child labor and mental abuse with you. I swear. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Well, I, for one, am thrilled that you found it because I absolutely loved this. I, I thought that you would love it. I, it's I, so up my alley. <laughs> I, I knew you would love the movie, and I thought Sean would probably be tickled by the fact that Dee Snyder was the bartender. That cracked me up right away. I said it to Jacqueline right away. I was like, is that Dee Snyder? And uh, <laughs> here's a question. I didn't do any research because that's not what I normally do for this. Uh it felt to me at times, and maybe it was supposed to feel this way, or I don't know. It felt to me at times like maybe this started out as like a stage show. Like the two of them were in these costumes doing like a funny, like like in New York bars. And then they were like, what if we expanded on this? What if we expanded on this? Like, you know how people do like gimmicky shtick uh, music performances? Not that the music was bad, but like. You know, there's... like what the audience thought they were doing in the bar. Right, exactly. It felt like maybe it started out that way and really escalated, and then they were like, you know what? Let's write a whole movie around this and like really blow it up. You know, and then you know, took it to the next step. You know. So Chris might have the answer to this, um, because Chris actually does research on these movies. Uh, but I'll tell you what I think that I found out. Um, so I will tell you that I have been, um, I've been listening to the album, uh, on, on my, my journey to work, uh, for the last couple days. Right. So, um, sorry, I'm looking for something on my phone. Uh, so, so I watched it Sunday night and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and today I've been listening to the albums in the car. So I found it on, um, Apple Apple Music, right? And it looks like they have two albums. One's just called like Future Folk Volume One, and it has has a couple songs from the movie in it. It has Space Worms, um, and it has the song where he's that that first song that he sings in the bar where he's singing about Honda, like the the lava pits and the fuzzy moss and all that stuff, um, where he's just singing about the planet. And it has the song. It has that love song that he sings to her about um, stars in the Black Typhoon. So it's got those on it. Um, I think that the album existed first and that it, like, that it was a stage show and that they made an album with this concept. And then I think that 
you know, they had a little bit of following and they took, um, that they took songs that were from the album that would work in the movie. Cause there's a lot of other stuff that's on the album that like would have had no place in the movie. And it seems like they picked the right things to actually like showcase the story and make a cohesive movie. So there's, um, so yeah, I've been listening to that and there's, there's other really funny stuff on it. There's a, a song called, um, pirate Krong That's about a space pirate from Galvatron. And it like, it sounds a little bit like, uh, like Johnny cash boy named Sue, you know, it sounds a lot of bit like, like, you know, he had five arms and a hole in his head and he, you know, sailed around the moon. Like it's like, it's really like folky and funny. Um, there's another song called chromosome Z where they like, like, I guess the, the point of the song is like, we're all the same on the inside, right? Like, like you, me, whoever, we're all the same on the inside. It's like, you know, it's a good sentiment for a song, but their whole thing is Hondonians and earthlings are the same, except Hondonians have an extra chromosome called chromosome Z. And they're like, uh, they say like, um, it's, it's not as uh, what it, like, or there's other physiological things they talk about. Like they're like, uh, it, we're, we're more alike than we seem, but we got a Glornix and you got a spleen. Um, or, uh, we like we have you you have one liver and we have 14 or something like that um so there's there's that stuff on the album and then i've listened to another one that's called live from earth that i think came after the movie because somebody um somebody requests that the mighty kevin sing the uh the uh, uh spanish serenade and then he he plays it at the end of the concert so i think basically they they made it, you know, they had the concept, they did a stage show, they made an album, and then they're like, oh, we could turn this into a movie, and then they did it again for another couple of years and made a live album, and then I, I can find no record of them after that. <laughs> uh, you are exactly right. Um, Future Folk, uh, according to Wikipedia, Future Folk is a New York City-based folk music comedy duo founded as a live act in 2004. Uh, the duo includes General Trias and the Mighty Kevin. Uh, they did that for a little while. And then they turned it into a feature-length movie, History of Future Folk. And yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly how it went. That uh, About halfway through, I kind of started getting that feeling. Uh, not that it's a bad thing. I, I don't think it, like, I, I'm not saying that it was, oh, this is just this crap. No, no, no. I, I just kind of, there was a couple signposts that uh, indicated that. All, all in all, I liked the movie. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely had that feel to it. I loved the the concept of this movie, um, but on a more superfluous level, uh, I used to be a New York City musician, and uh, <clears throat> in in my band Chocolat, uh, we played several bars in New York. And so when they walked outside, and I saw the sign for the trash bar, I was like, "Oh shit, that was the trash bar!" And Karen was like, "I thought that bathroom looked familiar, because <laughs> we played trash bar." So, like, I, I recognized that location. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that was great. Uh, really, the scene where he... Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the banjo. I think it's a, a wonderful instrument. And the fact that that was what the General Trius gravitated towards. And good lord, that guy is good at playing the banjo. Um, that scene where he played... He basically introduced Kevin to music. 
was I, I thought that was amazing. I just thought it was uh, first off, it was just a stunning collection of the most important music ever from TV themes to video game music to classical music to just everything mashed together, uh, which I thought was just incredible. But then like Kevin's reaction to it, like how does a grown being that is effectively similar to a human being react to music for the first time and not just reacting to music for the first time, but this crazy info dump of all this different kind of music and watching his like, terrified but exciting and then amused reactions to to all this music experiencing those emotions for the first time i thought it was captured so brilliantly of like you know when he starts playing the this i don't remember what the the song is called but the uh the the super uh dramatic dun 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 and he starts getting like really scared and screaming and then he stands up and just sings and runs away uh, <laughs> o, o fortuna is it called uh maybe uh not positive because I, I i i would like when i was make a tuna sandwich i would be like oh do tuna like i think it's <laughs> i think it's called oh for tuna that would make sense um well yeah um oh i so, just i no go ahead. I, sorry i wanted to while you were on the subject of that scene uh i i love that scene because um it's so well acted by by Kevin, you know, whatever the actor's name is, Jay Klatz or whatever, the, yeah. the mighty Kevin. Um, because uh, uh, in the beginning, he thinks those things are all torture devices. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? What is that thing? What are yeah, you going to do? Like, I, I, like, it, like, just the incredible acting in that scene. It was, just, it was, it was realistic, yet also like funny shtick. It was, it was so well done that he thinks that he's going to be tortured. And then he discovers music and then like all of the feelings that go along with like discovering this new thing. Like uh, it, it was such a, a range that he had to cover and it was mm -hmm. hilarious to watch. It was. It was hilarious and brilliant. And that's how I felt so much during watching this movie. Like there was very much a sense of what the hell am I watching or, you know, what what is this? Like when we first found the logo on netflix we we're like okay <laughs> this is going to be an interesting ride um but i fell in love with it almost immediately it was interesting because i went in i went in pretty much blind um and but you know when you load up the netflix thing there's a little synopsis right there and i just kind of naturally read it even though i didn't really want to i wanted to go in completely blind um so I knew that there was an alien that came to Earth or whatever, and it was my assumption while uh, this thing was coming together that uh, he th this was going to be a story of, like, this guy was a human and he made up this story about aliens, but that it turned out to be true kind of a thing, like a weird cosmic coincidence that this alien guy shows up and he just happens to be exactly what this guy was telling a story about. But then I then he was General, General Trius and everything, and the story took a turn from there. Um, so it was, it, it consistently surprised me because uh, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And, but it was even when I, as watching the movie, I kept being surprised by the, the, the turns that it took. And I, it was, it was, it was gen, genuinely fascinating. Like watching uh, Kevin try to court this, uh, this police officer and just, you know, some people would be like totally willing to accept like, all right, you're an alien. 
fair enough. And like his the other dude's wife was just like, you cannot expect me. This is, this is insane. And, and he was right to, to not want to immediately tell her because people would think that is insane because it is insane, but they, they grounded it so much in a sense of reality that it was just, it was so fascinating to watch. It was so well put together. Yeah, I I would agree that it's well put together. I ha- I have a couple notes on that that I'm going to get to at some point, but I think I think Chris I knew that you would love it because I think I, there's there's three things about it that I think I knew would appeal to you. Uh number 1 like I guess at its core even though it's it's a even though this is like a fun heartful movie, I guess at its core it's a low budget sci-fi movie, you know, and yeah. I think I think uh, we have a special place in our hearts for low budget sci-fi that you can make fun of and, and specifically things where humans have to be aliens, but the thing that makes them an alien is they wear a bright colored coverall. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's like just, it's, it speaks to us on that mystery science theater level. Um, mm-hmm. I, I knew you were going to love uh, the, the, you know, all the music stuff in it and him playing, you know, the Super Mario theme on the banjo. Um, and then, like, I think it also works on this level where it's not just about... It's not just about um, aliens and this this plot to, to save Earth and Hondo from this comet, uh, but that it's like... But that it's like a little bit like... Um, like when does he choose music or the rest of his life you know like like he was trying to balance a lot of different things his job that he was sort of lying to his wife about um that was a means to an end to blow up the comet his um his uh you know his job as general treas where he's trying to contact hondo and he's got the the um storage shed with all the equipment in it and he's trying to get in touch with them and then like that he's a musician like that this is so important to him that he's got to go to this club and play music um and like i don't know like there's something i think about it that must be like that must feel like what it is to be the job of a musician to like have that as a thing that you have to do in your life and that's that important to you um that you're you know like I don't know. Like I know, I know it's sort of working on two different levels. But I felt like that was part of it, and that that was like something that people would key into. I feel like you skipped over right there. The he was also balancing it against like uh, I mean his his job here on Earth, sure, but his job job was to come here and kill everyone and save the universe. Since he was a or save the universe, save his planet. Since he was a little kid, his mom told me how to do this, and he was directly like he came here and he found music. And he was instantly balancing his lifelong mission against music. He was like, I can't let music go. So I think you're right. And given the fact that we now know that, you know, it is a stage show. I mean, this is this guy writing down like, you know, he probably gave up, you know, probably lost some relationships and had a hard time with his whatever going on, trying to be a a successful musician, because that's not an easy path. Um, (laughs) It most definitely is not. Right. So, uh, you know, I I think he's directly correlating and putting some of that in there like paul said um yeah i think it i you were done with that right those are the three things you wanted to tell chris yeah 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 
Well, the three things, uh, for me, the three things are easy. Intergalactic, inept, assassin. I mean, as soon as you say those three words, you've got you've got the makings of a movie. That scene where Kevin first shows up and is just bad at killing him cracked me up on a great level. And, and I feel like the movie did a great job of not becoming stupid. Uh, it... it it decided it was going to be this kind of like heartfelt homage to music, you know, and, and it had a, a point and, and uh, you know, there was, there was these uh, messages or points it was trying to get across. It would do very funny, easy jokes. These are uh, like when he first gets to earth and he's walking through, uh, I guess it's a Walmart or whatever they call it. Uh, and he just does a little dance in his robot uh, costume or whatever. Like that seems hysterical. And uh, this, a hundred examples of movies where it's, you know, a fish out of water, the alien lands on earth and he, you know, oh, he doesn't know what a spoon is and he sticks it in his ear. And like, uh, if that's all, it's easy to get lost in that. It, there's lots of movies that just do that and they just do it over and over. And after you see a couple of them, it, it can start to lose its, uh, I don't know, it's luster or allure. This movie did a great job of like, here's a story, this movie, and we're going to do it. But every now and then we're just in the background, you're going to see, you know, this ridiculous thing happening. And, and it, I feel like it, it did a good job of not letting that become the focus while still giving me the little giggle of him dancing in Walmart. Well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take what you said there and I'm, I'm going to build off it first. First of all. Yeah. I don't know if it was Walmart or Costco or whatever, but I made that note too. Right. That like, like that was, that was so funny, you know, cause I think they, I think they did that scene while he was telling the bedtime story to his daughter you know, and he's explaining like General Treyas came here and he, he saw things unlike anything he'd seen in space, you know, and it was like, what's the most bizarre thing we can juxtapose with this, you know, alien in this red spacesuit is to have him go into Costco. Um, and then I thought like, I, again, I thought it was a, a really well done. I thought it was a really well done piece of storytelling about how important the music was because you know, he's in that Costco and he's about to release the virus and he hears music and like, it's not even music. It's like Muzak. It's like, you know, the shitty elevator music that plays in a store. But like when you, when you are a alien from a planet, that's got no music, like even hearing that is like, what is this? I need to know more. Like I thought that was such a good choice for, um, you know, for, for sort of the starting point of this, like, you know, love, love obsession with music. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I don't know, Sean, you said, you said something about, um, about sort of making the smarter jokes or doing the, the sort of smarter bits with the storytelling. And like, I gotta say, it, it was a thing that really impressed me about this movie is like, I don't know, I guess the economy of storytelling and like how they trusted the intelligence of the audience um, with some of these storytelling things that, you know, you didn't need, you didn't need the story before the story, right? Like, because conceivably, General Treyas came here and he made all the same mistakes that Kevin did, right? Like, he's from the same planet and he, you know probably made an ass of himself and got arrested and you know who knows what else right but like 
you know, we saw saw start of some of his journey with that bedtime story, but then like some of the other things that they set up, like where he um he is working at that air and space museum and he says to the like the security guard says this thing where he's like, I got this I got this I got arrangement, this with, arrangement this with him's wife whenever his wife comes or something like that, right? Yeah. So it's like just from that that really well placed dialogue, we knew he was lying to his wife, and we knew that he resented the security guard because of this whole thing. And like I thought that played out really well later in the movie when they had to fight all those security guards and he like punched that guy and he's like, Yeah, but you know, I'm like I thought you we're said not, that we're to hurt, gonna anybody. hurt anyone. Yeah. Except for him. Except for him, right. <laughs> you know, um or um when him and Kevin were yeah, I think it was when they got out of the club for the first time and they're like walking down the street and there's the street musicians and everything and he's like like don't make a spectacle of yourself, you know, or like or the way he talks to him about how he Kevin acts around women or whatever. He's like you can't do things like that and it's like you just know that there was all this story behind the story, but that we kind of got it all because of because of um the the sort of smart dialogue between um, General Treas and Kevin. Yeah, I I I agree with what you're saying about the uh, the the economy of storytelling. It didn't. It wasn't overly ambitious. It just decided to tell the story that it wanted to wanted to tell without overcomplicating it. And it's like we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it as best we can. And I thought they they really did an extraordinary job of it. They didn't get too over the top like you still had some weird space alien in a funky looking suit that was the the bounty hunter guy or whatever um i don't know man it was a i really really i just really enjoyed it i just liked everything about it that the the second assassin that came uh i i know it's it's easy to do it's easy to do what i'm gonna say when you don't have a budget Right. It's easy. And, and I'm sure that might have been part of it, because I'm assuming this was an extraordinarily low budget film. Not that not that it overly looked like it, but like I'm sure that it was the uh, it that creature almost felt like an homage to uh, the kind of sci fi movies that you were talking about earlier that, you know, the, the ones that are bad that you love to watch. You know, something about him just looked um I mean, ridiculous. I mean, it was a ridiculous, over-the-top-looking bounty hunter from outer space, uh, and I, and I felt like they were. I don't know. They probably, you know, were watching Mystery Science Theater too, and they were like, you know, let's let's do it this way. Which again, when you have no budget, it's easy to, you know, say, okay, let's. <laughs> that definitely falls in the realm of what we can do. So let's do it. Well, I, I mean, yeah, no, no, um, no shade to the movie. The movie was great, but you, yeah, you could tell that it was low budget you could tell sort of even in the way that it was made um you know i mean like it was only a handful of locations they were all locations that were attainable um you know it sort of had all the recipes for a a a low budget movie um but like again like this was another thing that was so great about this right like when you have a movie that doesn't have the backing of a of a studio and you know and all of the the power and tricks that come with that then then like you don't have as many tools in the toolbox to play with 
and like we as audiences are are unfortunately used to that like we you know we watch a movie and we sort of expect a certain degree of like wow factor or whatever or just or 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 even just the support that it gets to to strengthen the movie that comes with a, a studio and a budget right but like i think the thing that this movie did really well was like when you know when it started to not that it ever dragged but when it it, it was paced really well right cuz when it when it started when when it started to um when you started to be on something too long or something that was sort of expositional too long, they mixed it up with either these really great scenes or the musical bits, like in order to keep you engaged, right? Like a lot of times we were in the trash bar and we were listening to him, you know, playing the the music and all the music was really fun and great. So that was like, that was sort of a nice journey. Um, But then there was some really well like edited and performed scenes. Um, we talked about the, the musical instrument torture scene, but the other thing um, that I, I loved was the, the rooftop fight that was cut with the tango. Um, like I thought mm-hmm. that was like, you know, I thought some of these scenes were so well done that then it was like, we pull out this trick to hook you in when, you know, when we need to. Yeah. And it was, it was ridiculous, but it was, I, I thought it was really fun. Like, all right, they're cutting between the fight scene and the tango, and that's, that's cool. It's clever. Um, it's, it's a little cheesy, but I still, I very much enjoyed it. It, it like, it makes me wonder, <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I don't know. Like, it, it makes me, it, I guess it was yet another thing that was, was cool and well done about this movie is like. I feel like you understood the the standpoint of the people of Hondo. Like, like again, it was like such a silly thing that it's, you know, these men from outer space from this planet, and they're like they look exactly the same as us. But you know, all these things that they set up in the movie kind of like clue you in to what the culture is on Hondo. You know, like the the thing about music and stuff was a big part of it. Like them them being wowed by it when they came here. But then, yeah, the way that they interact with women, like, you know, like, it didn't seem, like, aggressive or weird or gross. It just seemed like, like, I don't know, like, on Hondo, like, everybody just must be a warrior who is, like, you know, who's, like, uh, almost like a peacock, like, preening, you know what I mean? Like, like, I will, I will attract you with this, like heroic thing I do or whatever. Like it was this very like simplistic view of, of relationships and women. Um, so I, I really bought into the thing about Kevin where he was like over the moon about this police officer. And then like, and then I thought that played really well with Treas, who was like, yeah, you can't do that, buddy. Like, you know, like, trust me, like I know what it's like to be in a relationship where you're married and you have problems and you have a kid and you're still trying to play music and, you know, and make it all work. Well, um, yeah, I'm not sure how much more, I don't I think I have anything in particular else I wanted to say about it other than, um, you know, thanks for bringing this to my attention. I've rewatched that banjo scene a, a handful of times. I do also want to track down some of this music and I thought this was a blast. 
yeah, uh, I you know, guess there's no skin on off my back to plug their music. I'm not making money off it, but yeah, I found it. I found it on Apple Apple Music on iTunes. So it's it's two albums. One's a studio album, and one's a live album, and uh, they're really funny. You know, I mean, like, I think it's kind of a you know when you're in the mood for it thing because it's a lot of banjo plucking, but the the like the gags in it are funny. Like it's a it's it's they're funny songs. Yeah, I'm all, I'm frequently in the mood for banjo plucking. I one of my favorite artists is Banjo Guy Ollie, so I like me some banjo. I I had a I had never heard of this movie, quote unquote, heard of, but I do. As soon as we brought it up on Netflix, I was like, oh, this movie. I hadn't seen it, but I had stopped on this movie and almost clicked on it like half a dozen times, and then I'd look closer at the picture and I'd be like. Nah, that looks like it's probably going to be stupid. But like it, it kept coming up on things like you might like this because of what you just watched, you know, and like half a dozen times at least I was on it and thinking about it and almost clicked it and then just didn't. So thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a fun movie. Oh. And I, I I think I would have just kept passing it by. I don't think yeah, it's got I, good eye appeal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you guys liked it. Uh, I'm glad I, I found it again. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm also glad that we were able to actually like talk about a lot of things about it for the podcast because, like I said, I just remembered that I liked it and I didn't really remember much else about it. So, like, I'm glad we didn't have this episode and be like, "Yeah, it was good," man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm glad it actually <laughs> spawned <a> conversation. <laughs> it definitely struck a chord. Oh. <laughs> Wait, I have. I'm sorry. I have one more thing I want to say about the movie because it seems like we're seems like we're coming to a natural conclusion to it. But um, uh, just about the low budgetness and the design of it and stuff too. I I did really like that, even though, even though it had this like low budget silly sci fi, uh, uh, aesthetic that like you still sort of bought into like this could be real and this could be like a spacesuit. You know, because I think it was really highlighted at the end when all they had the big crowd in the bar that was their fans, and like they're all wearing like friggin' Home Depot buckets on their head, painted red. You know, <laughs> and like you know, it it really made their suit look like a spacesuit against the like really DIY stuff that their fans came up with. I think that might have been one of the scenes that also made me think that maybe this was a stage show to begin with. I was like, that seems like something somebody did. And then, you know, somebody else was like, you know what, let's put this in a movie. It'll be great. Yeah, it definitely struck. I see. I, I didn't really get the vibe that it was a pre-existing act before, uh, but I totally bought the, yeah, this is how people in Brooklyn would react to this. Like, no, no doubt. This is this would totally go down. Yeah, if if a real alien actually came to Earth and discovered music and then, you know, started playing it and telling silly stories, like they would immediately have a following of weirdos that just wanted to, you know, dig their space banjo music. Yeah, without a doubt. Believable and wonderful. Just loved it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that brings us to uh, everyone's favorite part of the show, where we try to decide what the heck we're going to watch next. So uh, this was H. Next up is the letter I. I, I need um, to go. I need to go first. You need to go first. I need to go first because like you need to go to the bathroom before we do. No, this, I just I need like so so. I think so a lot of times the blind uh, voting thing or what's that? 
Were we not going to do the blind voting thing? Oh, yeah, we're totally going to do the blind voting thing. But, like, I need to say mine first because a lot of times we'll have... So, listen, a lot of times, right, like, I've been giving you guys a couple different options before we even vote, right? Like, I'm like, do you want this avenue or this avenue? Like, there's so many movies that I just want to watch and talk about all the time. So, like, I have a hard time narrowing it down to one when we do this, right? Um, so I give you a bunch of, of options. Uh, admittedly, one of them always has Pauly Shore in it. Um, <laughs> but this time around, I, my brain will only let me do one thing. Like, it will only suggest one movie. I can't get past the movie. So if it's anybody else's movie, I don't have a second option. So that's why I need to go first. If you say my movie, I'm going to be pissed. I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm just going to be mad all the time from now on I'm, moving forward. I might like that's the way we've been Sean. All right. Okay. I mean, is, is it not in the army now? <laughs> no, it's not. I like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I considered that because it, you know, it's part of my Pauly Shoreverse idea. Is, the, but is like, the second letter D? No. Okay. No, okay. the movie that I can't get past that I, uh, really, that I think, there's nothing else I'd rather watch and talk about is, um, uh, again, movie starts with I, uh, stars uh, Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, and Martin Short. It's Interspace, baby! Yeah. And they <laughs> shrink down Dennis Quaid and inject him into Martin Short. So that's, that's, that seems like a recipe for a great movie, and I, I, my pick is going to be Interspace. It seems like a recipe for a great movie? You've never seen it? Oh, no, I've seen it. It's, oh, I was going to say, yeah, it is a great movie. It doesn't seem like yeah. a recipe. It is a great recipe. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but yes, I've seen it. Plenty. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? You <laughs> should doing? be ashamed, right. Chris. Ashamed. Well, all right. Sean, what's your pick? So I have a pick that if one of you has seen it, uh, you might want to steer us towards it or away for it. So I, I would be welcome commentary before we vote, because I don't know that this is a movie I haven't seen. It's a movie that I should have seen. And I think that I foolishly trust the opinions of others too much because I just recently watched, I think we talked, we did talk about it on here, Ghostbusters, the female one. It was fine, whatever you call it. Ghostbusters 3, Ghostbusters 2 and a half. I don't know what you're calling it. It's just called Ghostbusters. It was originally supposed to have a subtitle called Answer the Call, which would have been great because then it wouldn't have just be called Ghostbusters. I, I can't stand that movies are doing that. Like, they just keep like, they're like, oh, now we're going to put out whatever, the Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. We're not going to put a number on it. It's like, but there already is or Scream. It's like, there's already a movie with that name. You can't do that. You need to, you need a subtitle or a number. But I prefer the number, but I'll go either way, but whatever. So uh, that movie was fine, right? We discussed that and I should have just watched it earlier. There was nothing wrong with that movie. Uh, I never watched, and if one of you watched it and it's bad, but not bad enough to be good, you can, you know, let you can flag me down. Independence Day two. I never watched it. I I I didn't see it. I I I mean I I I wanted to. I mean I'm not saying I wanted to see it bad, but like I'm saying I saw the original Independence Day, and when the new one was advertised, I was like, oh, I should see that. But I've never I love the first one. The first one's a phenomenal movie in my opinion. Like I know it's popcorn, oh cheesy, love it. just you know love summer blockbuster, Day. but it is the quintessential popcorn cheesy summer blockbuster like that's it that's as good as cheesy great big explosion summer blockbusters get right i mean where are you going from there so the fact that i just never got around to watching the second one i didn't hear anything good about it but 
maybe it's great. Maybe I just let some gold slip through my fingers there. I'm I'm sure it can't have as good of a speech from Bill Pullman oh. about uh, attacking the aliens. Right, and Will Smith isn't in it. I See, I also didn't see it, and I also considered making this my pick because, like, I didn't see it because I was afraid to see it. I love Independence Day, and the trailers didn't look very good, and the reviews weren't very good, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I want to see it because there's more Independence Day, and I always wanted to see what the world looked like after that movie. I've always wanted to see that. But... I don't know, like, it seemed like it was, like, a serious movie, and not in a fun way, like, <laughs> like the original Independence Day was, so... Like, it didn't Randy kind of... Quaid? He didn't somehow survive? Yeah, I, I don't know, it just didn't seem like it had the same shtick, it seemed like it was gonna be, like, a scary, serious action movie, and, like, Independence Day was just schlockily amazing, so, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I never saw it either. That's an interesting pick. Yeah. Um, I, I was really on the fence on, on, on mine and I, I came up with three picks. Um, I guess the one I, I had to go with the one that I want to watch the most because I haven't seen it in a little while. And by a little while, I mean like maybe a year or two, but it's also one of my favorite movies. Uh, I don't know how much there is to say about it, but then again, maybe there's a ton to say about it, and that would be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Because oh. hmm. it's my favorite indie movie, and because my first thought was, I bet I, sh I should say Crystal Skull, because I haven't seen it in a while, and I wonder how we'd feel about that now, you know, removed from all of the, you know, negativity that surrounded its initial release and, and whatnot. I would be curious. To, I think that would make it for a fun conversation. Of course, then there was also In the Heights, which was a fascinating thing that I watched on Netflix with Karen. But then the Indiana Jones, the last crusade exists. And I'm like, well, are there any I movies that I would want to watch more than this? And no, because it's one of my favorite movies. I just freaking love that movie. So last, last crusade has just about my favorite joke. That's sort of done in an edit in a movie. Um, I won't talk about it in case we pick it. Um, but uh, pro probably one of the things I, I quote the most about that movie. Um, I'm glad you, I'm glad last crusade was your pick and not one of the other ones. Cause I would have to take issue. Um, I mean, if it was temple of doom, I would just say, I don't want to watch it. And, uh, <laughs> if it was Raiders, I would argue that it no, doesn't it's start not with Indiana I. Jones. That's yep. Raiders. Yep. <laughs> that does not start with I. Yeah, was it, never you, in consideration. When you saw it on the shelf, it was Raiders in big letters. And then it that, was, that was the original the name of the movie. They yep. changed it later to make it fit with the other ones. Yep. The uh, so I take issue with your problems with number two. I just I know we probably we have yeah, we talked about this before. Every time I sit and watch that movie. I enjoy myself. There's so many things to love about it. And yes, there's a lot of problems, but there's so much greatness. There's so much greatness. There's great stuff in it. I just can't swallow Willie Scott. She's one of the worst things that's ever been on film. All right. All right. Just, no, no, listen, sorry. listen. Yeah, listen podcast for another podcast. Yeah, no, let's, yeah, let's pause this because I can tell you, I can tell you this for free. If we pick this move, if we do Chris's pick, we're probably talking about the whole trilogy, right? Because we did that when we talked about Bill and Ted. So, right, right, right. I, probably. Yeah. I, think to Chris, I think to Chris's point that there might not be enough to talk about, I think we would just talk about 
Indiana Jones. So yeah, it's, it's a solid point. Fair. Oh, I and, thought and I just and, love that. And movie. my D, I thought Paul was going to pick Idiocracy. Uh, oh man, that one crossed my mind too, but I didn't think I could do it anymore. <laughs> I feel like the movie would just make me too sad. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I I couldn't get past Inner Space. I just think it's like the perfect thing to talk about. All right, everybody ready? One, two, three, clap. Autocorrect is a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently we're watching a movie called Inner Spring. I don't know how that works. It's all about mattresses. It's a a great flick. You learn a lot. You learn a lot. (laughs) It stars Coily. Coily the Magic Spring. Boring. What's that? Wow. The Olympic mascot for Springfield? Oh. No, Coily was in a, a a really bad mystery science theater short where he um teaches teaches a guy what the, the the guy gets so mad that he was like I wish there was no springs and then this magical spring sprite named Coily shows up and removes all the springs in the world and then nothing nothing works for the guy. It's no basically it's a wonderful life except springs. It's yeah. really freaking weird. All right, now I gotta go find that inner space. It is. Uh, solid choice. I'm sad I won't be watching Indiana Jones, but maybe I'll find time to watch it anyway. Pfft. You're gonna like Inner Space. You're the you're the only one who no hasn't doubt. seen it. It's, it's great. Yeah, I've never great. seen it, so I'm glad we're crossing something new off of my list. Right back yeah. to Equate. All right, well that's that's everybody's homework, and that is what we will be uh watching for the next episode of a theater near you. So I guess it's time to wrap it up, right? Indeed, indeed. Okay, A Theater Near You is part of the Geekade Podcast Network, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time in A Theater Near You. Goodbye! Hondo! 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 I like the way your planet feels I like to smell the daffodils And taste the tasty earth meals Then swim with Tim at Harbor Seals Your planet's stocked with lots of beer Plus I like actor Greg Kinnear But there's one problem still here I can't breathe in your atmosphere I cannot breathe in your atmosphere I cannot breathe in your atmosphere My lungs are starting to sear I cannot breathe in your atmosphere